Yeah, you already know what it is, your boy Benz, alongside Christina. We are the Spark Up Podcast, episode 139. What's popping? What's going on, everybody? Yo, yo, yo. Again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I want to, you know, take the time personally to say thank you. Okay. You know, because, you know, usually I I come into the episode asking you how was your weekend. Mm -hmm. But I think I have to take a second and a moment of... The episode to thank the listener. Okay, okay. Because you know, without the listener, who are we? We're nothing. Absolutely nothing. You That's know? good. We we want to thank the listeners. Thank you, listeners, for checking us out every week. Welcome to episode one hundred and thirty nine of the Spark Up Podcast. This is the vibe that I'm going with today. What you know about that, Marvin Gaye? Okay. Well, I think he was talking you. that talk right here. I hear you. don't make them like Marvin Gaye anymore. And it's Black History Month, so it's only right. That we bring this energy because we had Mr. Marco McWilliams, activist, educator, scholar, black excellence. Shout out to Sarah Lopes. When I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Perfect. But I'ma stop be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11 even boom with the face down. Skimming, and let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in a twilight. We're pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight. Now tell my mama I love her, but this what I like. Lord knows, 20 of them in my shabby. Tell them all to come and get me, reaping everything I sow. So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings on my record. I'm a motherfucking gangster in silence for the record. Uh. Tell the world I know it's too late. Boys and girls, I think I've gone great. Nigga. When our pride was low, looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate poor poor, wanna kill us dead in the street for sure. Perfect. Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door, my knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gonna be alright. Yes. 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 I love that song. You know, Kendrick's a treasure. He really is. He's they, he needs to be protected at all costs. They don't make him like that. 
They really don't. They really don't. And, and speaking of not making them like that, we have a very special guest on today's episode, Mr. Marco McWilliams, who, like I said, is an educator, a scholar, an activist, a father, just all around excellent human being. And I'm so glad that we got to speak to him. So stick around for that. And I want to give a shout out to last week's guest, Sarah Lopes, who we got a lot of good feedback and people were excited to see that she was on the show. But I want to give a particular shout out to Jason So Smooth. He said, man, just became a full time listener because of this episode. Great content. Keep it up. Shout out to you. To a man who has ears and knows what's good for him because this is Rhode Island's number one podcast. And if you didn't know, now you know. Or in the words of the great Biggie Smalls, if you don't know, now, now you, you know. know. <laughs> Why didn't you say nigga? I, I, th- I thought you was gonna finish it off. <laughs> but um speaking of niggas, um happy belated Independence Day to all the Dominicans out there. You know what I'm saying? Hey. We, um, I did nothing for the Dominican Independence Day. Surprisingly, I didn't, I didn't do anything neither. I mean, just hit up a few people. Happy Dominican Independence Day. Did you really? Yeah. Hit people up like it was Thanksgiving? No, no, no. Just like, you know, like if I happened to speak to somebody that was Mm -hmm. calling for something, hey, happy Dominican Independence Day. Were they Dominican or just, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's kind of weird if you're just saying it to random people. On the phone. I mean, you know, just showing awareness then. I'm not judging you. I don't hey. want you to feel judged. No, definitely not judged. <laughs> okay. How was how was your weekend? Let's go through our weekend recap. Okay, so my weekend recap. Oh, he was ready to talk about <laughs> it. Perfect. It's, all right, so let me start with the, the fun stuff first, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I went... And did the strand with um with Davies Millies. Um, then I did the um carnival at the strand with the um with the guys from um they they do the big Key Verdean parties um with um sounds like bird activity DJ Maluco um. I'm not It's it's a movie all yeah, the time. Okay. Um with the the people from the A plus team, the roots, um they they always do this amazing party. Okay. Um possibly one of the best party groups I've encountered so Ever far. In life? That I've encountered. Period. Because their wow. parties is always lit. Okay. You know, you got to come along for one of those. I I'm never a, get an invite. I'm so a, I'm, For the next one, I'm definitely going to, you know, extend the olive branch. How they say, you know. No, like, extending an olive branch is when you have beef with somebody and you like. Bring I mean, them sometimes a we be having beef. So, yeah, it's mostly uh, me having beef with you and you don't care. Uh, no, it's fine. You know, you, you can't you can't be on. That's why I'm passing the, the yeah, 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 yeah. So and know, weren't you on. at the uh, Providence? Oh, the Providence Friars. Yes, shout the out to Providence, the Providence Friars. Wrong shout outs to Providence Friars that won the the East, the Big East 
um, championship. Yes, for the first time ever. For the first time ever in history. With one of the best records they've ever had. I believe it was 22 in. Don't guess it. Don't guess it. Don't don't quote me on that. I'm not sure on numbers, but they only lost three times. I definitely know that. Um, And, man, these games are electric. Electric. I've seen a I was clip there for the Villanova Providence game. I didn't make it to the last game, but um, I was there for the Villanova um, Providence, and it was triple OT. Wow! Back to back, action packed. It was berserk. Berserk. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody was at the edge of their seats. Like man. It was a movie. It's a movie. I love when, like, you experience movies in life. I mean, I experienced movies almost every weekend now, <laughs> which is you. interesting um, and fun. Shout outs to Red Eye Movies, Josh and Murph, which you know always opened the door for me. You know, um, and believe in me. You know that's the key thing. Um, also. Speaking about Red Eye Movies, Josh and Murph, we ended up um, in New York last weekend doing a collab with Jimmy Jazz. Um, they do a, they're doing this program with um, Build the Block, which um, features Shawnee Culture from Hot 97. And, yes, uh, he's one of the hosts on the radio on the station. Ebro in the morning show. Mm-hmm. And um, come to find out, Michael K. Williams is was a part of this. Very fire. Yeah, which, I think Joe Budden talked about it, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe I read that somewhere. Which, to me, was like, wow. Like I'm He did a in, lot of stuff in his community. But like, but, like, when after everything is done, back home, we're, we're editing the footage and the pictures that we took there. Mm-hmm. You know, then I start... Like, you know, we talked about Michael with K. Williams, but then we get the footage and it's like makes everything come full circle. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, I made everything. Pull all the pieces like, together. Like, this is, this is much bigger than just working with Jimmy Jack, Jazz. Mm-hmm. This is like a part of history. Yeah. You know, because... Unfortunately, um, Michael K. Williams is no longer here. Mm-hmm. You know, so his le- a part of his legacy kind of was in our hands, yeah. which was That's which dope. to me is kind of mind blowing to is. this day. Like, there's certain things like that, that some people may not look at it from that perspective, but that's probably the best perspective to. to yeah, because look at it. we're storytellers, photographers, videographers. Writers, yeah. we're all storytellers, and we're the ones carrying the stories to tell the stories to the people of tomorrow. Mm, exactly. Yeah, you're documenting things that people way after us, or you know, we'll whenever be we'll be able to see that. So that's really dope. And like we spoke about with Mr. Marco, is that um, you know, listen to the interview, but he talks about how Martin Luther King. Junior was one of the leaders that got to document everything. And because of that, we're able to learn and, mm-hmm. and you know, just 
implement it in our everyday lives or not just admire them and learn how what black people did and look like sounded like and how they behaved you know you know it's it to me it's it's pretty interesting because i fell into this kind of by you know just kind of wanting to learn but now i'm so i'm like neck deep and it's like holy crap maybe this was meant for me yeah that's nice that's beautiful i love that perfect but yeah, let's see. Um, me this weekend, I had a hot day on Friday. Ooh, tell us about it. I went out for the first time Where willingly um, to like a musical atmosphere. I went to Nara. Shout out to mm-hmm. DJ Sleep, Sleepy Nice, DJ Sleep NYC, um, and the light skin uh, DJ. I think he's Puerto Rican or Guatemalan. He has glasses. He does a lot of mixing, blending. You showed him to me once. Ayo Romero? Yes, him. He's my boy. Shout out to him. They killed it. They really shut it down. Transitions, mwah, chef's kiss. Um, I had a good time enjoying myself. I drank a little bit. Um, you know, it was, I'm starting to get cozy with being outside again because I feel like I lost my mojo for reasons I spoke about with, you know, the death of my cousin and just like the world being upside down, you know, life. right now. Life takes a toll sometimes. Yeah, we're at war right now. You know, Russia officially took over Ukraine, which we don't... I'm not well-versed in that topic, so I'm not going to pretend to. But I have been listening to it mm-hmm. on CNN, and I know what's going on. I just don't know how to regurgitate that information. But, yeah, it's just a lot of shit going on. So, But being outside with... Someone you live like <laughs> felt nice. It was familiar. It was cozy. Um, you know, we were outside. Give us a little recap. And, you know, just uh, pick. Oh, you know what? I will say, you know, when you're in the club and, you know, you're in there. Uh, I asked, you know, what do you want to do? Smoke hookah. Let's go. Let's go smoke hookah. So you're smoking we got hookah. drinks. Yeah, you know, setting the vibe. What are you drinking? What, what's I in, was what's in pa- your cup? Patron and, and some mixed drink, Patron and something. We pre-gamed with Don Julio, so it was only right to keep the tequila going. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Get to the scene, order the hookah on the fly. Um, and the music was right. One thing I will say is that it was too much of the same BPM for a long time. Like, it was all trap. Trap, 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 trap. Megan the Stallion, City Girls, Poppin' Pussy, Megan the Stallion. It was like too much. It was a finally a break with the Afro beats and dance hall and the ah 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 and the ooh ooh ooh. And it was a good time. It was a good time. I enjoyed myself. And then Saturday, what did I do Saturday? Oh, Saturday I spent the day at my best friend's house and we watched TV, which I'll get to later. Watched Twinder Swindler Trap. Um, I, I've you're not familiar a, with the Twinder Swindler? I've heard about it. I could care less. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that later. And then Sunday, I just chilled. Just relaxed at home um, and watched Euphoria season finale, which I'll also get to later. But yeah, I just Still had a chill weekend. <laughs> Yo, you are trash. But it's fine. We move on. We move forward because what else is there to do? Reminder to subscribe, 
Subscribe right now to the Apple or Google Podcasts. Smash Anchor, the like button. Spotify. Subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Comment below. I mean, if you don't tell a friend, what is he doing? Yeah, you're really being selfish because how you holding all this goodness to yourself? You should be running around and telling people, oh, my God, yo, I listen to this podcast and they're really dope. Stop being a closeted lover. I'm done with y'all. Y'all are fake. Love us in public. You be talking all this, I'm so proud of you, and ooh, ooh, ah, ah, ah. But when I pull up, you know, you know the rest. But, yeah, so that's all that I have for our introduction. <laughs> I don't know why I just <laughs> ended that, but fuck it. Let's get into the culture shock. Ooh. So, like I said, Russian invaded Ukraine and Biden is looking to sanction them, which means, like, punish them. Oh, they kind of already started that. Yeah, so um, I'm praying for the best and anticipating the worst. You know you know what's interesting about the sanctions? comes to a point that we're starving Russians. As dark as it sounds. It comes to... Because, you know, the, the money... The banks are are getting depleted from their money and their, their mo- money value goes down. Let me tell you something. If somebody's after your bank account, you don't think that they're going to take the money out or find a way to flush it somewhere else? Yes, but by the time they do, it might be too late. I don't know anything about politics, and I am not going to pretend. I'm, all I'm saying is interesting how they use the words... You know what I mean? Because literally, basically saying, we're going to starve you guys. No, it's not literally. A sanction is just punishment. It could be looked different for any type of thing. True. And people are saying, oh, like, well, why is the U.S. defending this? Well, because they're allies. And that's not only that, but if, you know, you're a threat to the... No, but that's literally how the world works. You only stick your neck out for people who you have. Not only that, but you have things invested in. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all are in business. Like, gas will be going up. I mean, we've already been seeing inflation with food. So, um, things might get ugly. Oh, it's going to get. It's definitely going to get ugly. That's crazy. I don't want to talk about this anymore because I am this not my field. So moving forward, I just want to mention some new music. New music. Have you listened to anything new? Not really. I I did listen to the Conway the Machine project. You're really breaking my heart, bands. I did listen to a few songs off Donda too. So did didn't, I. Didn't get to the whole thing. Me either. And honestly, I'm not pressed. Oh wow! This is news to me. I mean, I've never I haven't been pressed for Kanye in a long time This is true But it's news to me That you're not like I'm gonna listen to it I wanna hear what it sounds like But I'm assuming that it's gonna just sound like Donda Yeah I think it might be Just like a Yeah like continuation. extra shit he had mm-hmm, That he had in the tuck because Kanye never puts out Albums like this back to back So it had to be his sense of urgency of staying relevant. And, you know, he got the gap thing that's dropping. And uh, 
The whole everything, Kardashian yeah, debacle. the whole debacle. So Kanye's out here; he's in these streets and he's trending. And somehow, neg- whether negative or positive, he's found a way to stay relevant year. After One year. thing I gotta give him credit for, and I hate to do this, but the marketing is on point. Oh, of course. You know, like like what's going on or not. He's, 100%. He's definitely learned I mean, a few tricks from the Kardashians. I, I was going to say. <laughs> I, was I will say be, that. You know, did you watch the documentary? I have yet? not finished it. All right. I haven't finished it either. But one thing I've taken from the, from the documentary is how important, and this is going back to the storyteller thing, how important his cameraman was. 1,000%. To his story. Like, you couldn't tell the story with without him there. He narrates it too, which he did a really good job with that. Thirty minutes in, I was crying. It's and you know, it was interesting to see how people kind of under underlooked no, Kanye West. Overlooked, overlooked. Yes, Kanye West. I don't think he was overlooked. I just think that the. The uh, majority doesn't know his full story Like for me none of this The footage is new Obviously it's footage i never seen But the stories aren't new to me Like I know Kanye mm-hmm. so well And so deeply That for me it was just a matter of Putting the f- names to the faces mm-hmm. And so when you see Sahai the Prince And you see Consequence And you see the poets That pulled up to the college dropout And the camera guy Like he's mentioned these people In his music before So it was nice to finally see The pieces I've been collecting mm-hmm. and, and seeing the visual Representation of that So um, it, yeah that was nice It was also interesting to see that I don't know Whatever's going, going out there is interesting, <laughs> but yeah, um, it was also interesting to see and try to like understand how the hell did he know that this was gonna be a thing? The 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 videographer like he didn't know like to store all that like you know it just but it's because the guy really started off. Uh, I forget his name, but he started off as a journalist. He did Mm -hmm. the Zero Degrees, was it? Or Ground Zero Channel? Channel Ground? Channel Zero. Channel Zero. Mm. And he started out interviewing people, and he's from Chicago as well. And, you know, his uh, sentiment towards Chicago in the music scene is that the same of ours. Like, nobody has documented Providence, so we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So we are just like that guy, just in a different space because he was showing like, you know, common was still common sense and uh, the brat and Twista mm-hmm. and all these different people that I, I don't know about because we're not from Chicago. But he was doing everything that he did on a grander scale locally first. Mm-hmm. So really what he was doing he was planting the seeds. He was planting the seed, exactly. He was part of the evolution that we're seeing in media, which is documentation, which we later seen in Behind the Music, mm-hmm. making of the video. Like, we've seen this before, mm-hmm. but never in documentary style. So 
this is the first I time. I think we that's why it's so interesting like to me. Like you know, like he knew that Kanye was special. That's the thing. When you believe True. in somebody and you invest in them, you get to see the fruits of that labor. So. Shout out to Kanye West for this documentary. Um, 30 minutes in and is very beautiful. Um, and I know that people were making fun of him because there's a scene where he goes to the Rockefeller Center. I mean, the Rockefeller Records uh, office and he's playing All Falls Down mm-hmm. and nobody's paying attention. Uh, and people are like, see, nobody ever paid attention to Kanye. Look at him now. But the thing is, Ueno has come out and said, I was there. And this nigga played this song for us a bazillion times. <laughs> we were sick of that shit already. Um, so it's just funny to hear like how people come up with their own theories, even though they weren't there. But I'm going to definitely finish it. And even though Kanye is a hot ass mess, I've learned to separate his mess from his music. So I'm I want to enjoy him in the way I used to enjoy him as just an artist. I don't look to him for political views. I don't look to him for godly advice cuz he lied and said he wasn't going to make regular music and he is. Um I mean, he's saying that he's going to be Pete's ass. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> I don't hold his words too high, but I do hold his music very high. So I'm going to keep enjoying that from my own peace I'm going to separate that From here on out I'm done with Talking about Kanye the person Because you know what I don't even know that guy um, But Kodak Black also dropped A new album uh, What is this album called? It's called Back for Everything And you know Super Gremlin mm-hmm. it's, I think it hit number one So it was the number one song in the country and also, Lily Rain dropped a new single from Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> but she was featured on title. She came up on the homepage. Fire. She, yeah, I saw that and I was like, then I That's saw it was team. produced by the home team too, the Super Smash Bros. They're from Fire. Massachusetts. So, and they've worked with a bunch of people. And this is nice to see that. It's just so, I was talking to Regina about this. It's just so crazy that for other people, she's like, I'm discovering a new artist, right? And for us, it's like we're watching her evolution, climb that ladder, her, her, her um, ascendance. Yes, exactly. Her climb the ladder in her career, like seeing that feature because I know her, I automatically clicked it, and so I was very proud. It sounds like industry work. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like she has the right things in motion. She's gonna, she's. It's only also, a matter of time. I always tell her. Also, for another show, Rage remastered. Yes. Complicated. Shoutouts to Rage. I don't notice the difference, but congrats. It, <laughs> Is there a difference? You think? It's not a crazy difference. The song's still the same. Mm-hmm. It's just it sounds better. It sounds crispier. Mm-hmm. There's a new Shay Akru. I don't know if that's how you say his name. He's R&B. I fuck with his music. He's very toxic, but it's good. Ace Hood and of course Conway the Machine, which I was reading. I don't know if it's true, but Conway got a label. He's back Drum on. Work. Okay. No, no, no. Oh, no. He's back on Shady Records. Is that true? No. He automatic. He signed with them. Okay. I. No, he has not signed yet. I'm mistaken then. All right. Well, yeah. He he did um, cause I guess somebody said ex Griselda member. Mm-hmm. 
And he's like, I never left the group. I just didn't sign with them. Right. He's still part of the He's still, collective. that's like his. His home base. His home base, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And we also have a new single from Kalani called Little Story and Tiana Major 9. I don't know how to say that name, but featuring Smino, who anything Smino I click called Two Seater. Tiger Doja Cat, Freaky Deaky, and new Ruby Rose. I like. Mm-hmm. Did you see Ruby Rose? She sold out SOBs last week. Yeah. Do you know who that is? Ruby Rose from Boston, right? Wait, I'm thinking of the wrong person then. Hold on, let me see. Ruby Rose. She's the she's a rapper. Mm-hmm. I think she's from Boston. Okay, no, I'm thinking of somebody completely different then. Not this is not Ruby Rose who I want to congratulate, but she is very delicious looking. Shout out to her. Speaking of delicious looking women, right? So during my weekend recap, I forgot to say that on Wednesday, I met my wife. Your wife? Yeah, or so I thought. So I go into UPS, I'm returning um, the modem. And I is, go in is there. She, is she working at UPS? Don't do the question thing. No, Let no, I, ha- I have to. I have I'm to. going to tell you if okay. you don't disrupt me. <laughs> I can't. You just don't want me to ask these questions. No, because you're asking questions I'm already going to say. So I walk in there, I'm returning the modem, mm-hmm. and I can barely see. I don't have my glasses, but I see big curly hair, and I'm like, wow, that's nice. Her hair is nice. And the closer I get, she's at the counter. Is she wearing shorts? <laughs> you're doing it. It's winter. Why would she be wearing shorts? There's a lot of UPS no. workers that still wear shorts in the winter. Let me finish the story. Stop asking me questions. So I get to the counter and she opens her mouth and her voice is nice. I'm like, soothing. that's a good voice. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at her hands because at this point I can't see any skin because her she's wearing a mask. So her, you know, she just so right has now her she eyes. Lo- she looks like, um. You remember De- Dexter Lab- Laboratories where you only see... The- Shut up. No. <laughs> so, you know, she's wearing a short sleeve mm-hmm. collared shirt with a long sleeve shirt under. So I can mm-hmm. only see her skin and her, you know, her hands and her eyes. And so I'm looking at her making eye contact. But because she's my wife, I'm mad nervous. I'm like, I can't look at her. She feels mad awkward. But I'm wearing a mask, so she can't see me, like, Mm -hmm. making facial expressions. But I'm really, like, you know, smiling like a loser. And I'm looking at her, and she was like, um, what did she say? She said something. I don't remember. I was, like, in a whirlwind. I don't remember anything she said, just the sound of her voice. And then she turns around. And I'm going to sound like a pervert. But she turns around and her pants, her slacks were just hugging her booty just so perfectly. And it wasn't like a crazy BBL booty. It was a natural, modest, humble sized ass. Your mind was singing Maxwell. I was. You know exactly what I'm talking about, too. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> a woman's word. Yes. Uh, I was thinking exactly that because <laughs> you were swimming on the sidewalk, too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yo, if What's it, the name of that, sir? A uh, woman's work, right? Yeah. A woman's, a woman's work? 
This woman's work. This woman's work. Oh, it's so, uh, what's the name of that song, bands? I want to play. Um, I, woman's work. I could have could have had it queued up or whatever. So I cannot find. Did you know that Maxwell is Puerto Rican? This part Puerto Rican. Yeah, didn't know that. So this song was the song playing in the so, back. So so let's let's can I can I do the narration? Okay. So you woke up into the UPS. You hear this beautiful full voice. Yes. Hello, darling. May I help you? I she didn't call me darling, but I wish she in my mind she called me. This is I'm talking sweetheart. from your head yeah. headspace. You're so, already in the clouds. You know what's funny is because she she reaches out. Listen. Her skin is glistening. You're annoying. You, you have the big old googly eyes. And she's like, wait, wait, I'll take this package. And she turned around. And I was around, like, take the whole package. And you are like, wow, you just drop. You know, it's funny because, <laughs> let me put this down a little bit. Um, She had, you know, you could see her hands and Golden. her nails were chipped. And she was trying to hide it behind her back. And what I wanted to say with her to her was, "Yo, let me pay for the let nails. Let me pay for your nails. Oh, I wanted to pay her bills. Oh, this is how I know it was real. It was real. And she turned around to get, you know, my receipt. And I was this like, "This is all happening in slow motion too. In by the way, slow motion, and there's like." The wind from outside is blowing into the UPS. It's blowing in her hair. Her hair is like, sl- like if she was in front of a fan. Yes. It's like she was so beautiful. Let me help you, darling. And so it was only right that um, you know, I shoot my shot. You was trying to give her a woman's work. I wanted to give her this work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I I didn't have the balls. I didn't have the Damn, balls you, to you, do it. I didn't dwindled. I, I dwindled. But the pressure. But I called, and I said, "Can I please speak to the I'm beautiful not gonna say woman in front of that counter?" I said, I "Can I please speak to blankety blank?" You you needed to get things off your chest. Let me do this. Women to women. I I said, can I please Admi- speak admire to shut up. <laughs> I said, can I please speak to my wife? She was like, your wife. And I was like, yeah. Her name is Blank. She put her on the phone, and I was like, I don't usually do this, but um. You hit her with the I usually don't do this. I said That's how you know you usually do this. <laughs> I said I said I said I don't usually do mm-hmm. this, but um do you date women? And she was like laughing. And you could tell she it was like a flattered laugh. Mm-hmm. And she was like, No, I don't, but I'm flattered. And I was like, you know, I figured I shoot my shot because, you know, ah, where's the 
You was trying to get Damn let dip. me finish You was, I was trying like, to get her to dip into your package. I was like I figured I'd shoot my shot mm-hmm. And um, you know just ask Because I just thought you were so beautiful Like you know Like your hair is nice and Caramel You were just so nice to me She was just regular to me She was not very nice She was just you know what Not exceptional scent? nice What was her scent? I did not smell her Sorry But um yeah And um Turns out she may not be my wife But she is somebody's wife Somebody out there is gonna be very 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 lucky lucky. So shout out to her She You um, you should have told her that Like I know you just turned me down but No I'm not forcing my sexuality on somebody Who just said she don't date women No no I'm not saying you're No you're giving her a compliment Whoever I gave her all with, the compliments. You end up with it's gonna be a lucky person. I gotta do all that over the phone. She's at work. No, I mean you're giving her time off. Technically, from Please, work. Let's move forward. Shout out to her. <laughs> if you change your mind out there, I'll be going to UPS frequently now, just asking for prices of different things that I never will use, but just to see her face because she's that beautiful. I can't wait for her. I don't know if I've ever been in a situation with no. There was an Uber driver. The Uber driver. <laughs> okay, we she could have been my this. wife. We're getting carried away. No, here. seriously, like she could. No, been my seriously, wife. we do have to end it. And, and the time. thing is that that we had to stop, and she checked her tire. Let me just tell you, I was like, that was me. Oh wow. You're amazing. This is quickly becoming the perverted podcast. No, 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 nope. I wasn't trying to be perverted or anything. I just admire her. That's all. I didn't try to cross the line. I didn't try to shoot my shot. I was just like, wow, you could be so fuck me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, oh, oh, before we end, before we end, before we end, before we end. Euphoria season two is over. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Don't whoa, whoa, whoa! There's some people that still haven't watched it, so they can skip this. No. I just want to say, don't do that to them. I could do this. This is my show. I could do that. So what I want to say is that I really, really enjoyed this season, and the character development in this show is prestigious. The writing is phenomenal. The way they're rolling out this story, even in the episodes that feel like fluff, you got to really listen to the dialogue and the moments they're creating in this ep- in this season. Like the chemistry between Fez and Lexi and then the debacle between Jules and Rue and Nate and his father and Cassie and Maddie and Kat and her boyfriend. If you know, you know. I know some people are not happy with the way season two ended, but I feel satisfied in knowing that there's another season coming and it was a hell of a season two. And this show is really good at having quiets before the storm. So I know that season three is going to be explosive and I'm looking forward to it. And, um, you know, this, the cast is just perfect. I don't think I've been in love with a show like this ever besides Friends. And Friends is comedy. This is drama. 
And the way they're exploring the different themes of life and, and sympathizing with these characters and remembering that, yes, they're all toxic and some of them are pieces of shit, but they're teenagers and they still have a lot to learn and a lot to grow. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And also, shout out to Jabari Banks, who plays Will Smith in the new Bel Air show. That show is so damn good. I'm not going to lie. I went in there. I had to let go of my love for the original Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and say, this is different. This is reimagined. This is not going to be the same show. Look at it as a whole new show. And gosh darn it. They did that. They did that. I won't spoil it because I want you to watch it. I don't know if you're going to watch it, but the characters... The way they chose, like, the casting for this is on point. And the the new reimagined jazz is, to me, so much better than the real jazz. This is not a plight to, uh, what's his name? Jazzy Jeff. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about characters, not the actors. The character itself. Um, the way they reimagined um, Hillary, love it. And, uh, you know, they gave us a dark Aunt Viv. They give us back the dark Aunt Viv. They give us a dark Uncle Phil. They mm-hmm. gave us a dark Carlton. They gave us blackness on this show. And the boy who plays um, Will Smith is from Philly as well. He's from West Philly. So there's a lot of parallels to his life in this show. So I'm excited to finish this season. Job well done. Job that, well done. That's dope. I, I got to check it out. Definitely. I want to go back to the PC Friars because I I couldn't end the episode with without getting these stats right. Okay, and then we we'll have to wrap um, it up. So the season it's uh, I just lost it. How you take all this time and still don't have yeah, I think it? I had it. Just- well, while you're looking for it, the Twinder Swindler okay. is trash. Um, inventing Anna trash. Don't waste your life on that. Go watch Bel Air and Euphoria. So the overall season, twenty four wins, three losses. <laughs> I was close. I, I said so, twenty three, right? I don't remember. But shout out to the PC Friars, Providence College, Providence Friars, very own. They are off to NYC. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna get interesting. It's gonna get real. Can't wait till they come back home. Yes, sir. So that is it for the culture shock. Hello, everybody. This is Christina Sev here on episode 139. And we have a very special guest with us today. We have Mr. Marco McWilliams, who is a scholar, educator, activist, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So welcome to the podcast. I don't know if you can hear that. I don't know what my yeah, I know. So, yeah, I appreciate it. I am a pleasure to be here. <laughs> with y'all on the last day of Black History Month. Yes. You know, so you get to bring it home. I love it. I, I love that. You know, it was funny because, um, just to give a little bit of backstory, but we met back at a protest a long time ago. This was 2016. 2016. <laughs> Really? We talk, yeah, yeah, we yeah. talked about this For protest. The, um, Philando Castile yes. March. 
Wow. Uh-huh. So we met in the streets then. Yeah, yep, we yep. met in the streets. And you were riding a bike. And I was like, this man is very interesting. <laughs> he must not be from here because people don't really like to ride bikes here. We, we yeah. do cars and, and yeah, We met in the struggle. You know, that's the struggle. Yeah, I mean, listen, a bike is a healthy option. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I had times in my life, you know, where the bike was, you know, it wasn't just leisure. It was like a means of, you know, transportation. So okay. that's probably what that was. <laughs> hey, whatever whatever it takes to get to get going, to get by. So first, let's start with where you're from, because I read that you are from Mississippi. Mm. So talk a little bit about, you know, living in Mississippi and at what age did you come to Rhode Island? Yeah, so I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, what I call Fannie Lou Hamer country. Of course, Fannie Lou Hamer is the legendary, um, you know, freedom fighter, you know, voting rights activist um, out of the Mississippi Delta, um, Blueville, Mississippi. And if you, you know, my grandmother's transition, but if you went to my grandmother's house and went through the out the back door and through the backyard and hopped the fence, you'd be in Van Hamer's yard. So I, I, I say that to say like I literally sort of like grew up in that ecosystem um of the movement and the struggle. You know, it was a Southern black freedom struggle popularly today, you know, it's called the civil rights movement. Um where folks was fighting for freedom. So that that climate um even though the politics of it weren't always like on the forefront of my mind, just to like grow up like in that ecosystem um, of, you know, knowing that you're black. Like one of, you know, one of the things that I always say, man, is for like black folks, like your really your first political move is to just like understand that you're black, you know, and because Western culture, uh, especially for folks who, you know, folks of, you know, non-black folks of color, and even some folks who end up identifying black when they come here, they get here and it's like, all right, I just got to be a good American, right? Mm. But being a good American often means it's like distancing yourself from, you know, notions of what a black American is. And it's just about proximity to like whiteness and Westernness. So I, I, I came out of an ecosystem for which um, that wasn't a thing. And when I got, when I came here to Rhode Island, which was just before um, I went into high school, I was in this split where, you know, my childhood, and my upbringing was in the South. But my emergence as a young person, young adult, um, and everything else that you trying to, ways in which you're trying to figure out life when you're growing up, happens here in, a, in what felt very much like a foreign land. Um, and so I, I've never culturally assimilated, you know, but this, I have come to a, a place where I feel comfortable calling, you know, Rhode Island my home. What would you say is the the cultural differences between Rhode Island and Mississippi? Yeah, I, you know, I think the most salient um, one is that in the, in the South of Mississippi, the the sociality of race is just a part of the culture. Like it's accepted. Like it's 
black folks over here, white folks over there, and everybody just kind of understand that those are the terms <laughs> of the game, and people just move on with their lives, right? Um, and and that's what it was like for me growing up. And so I had, you know, like my teachers, you know, were black. Like my dentist was black. Like I went, you know what I mean? And so, cause it, you know, it's a black, this black culture, right? But here, the, the racism is, was kind of interesting because, you know, you, you, white folks could like see you and smile and like appear cordial. Mm-hmm. Right, but like you later found out that like they actually harbored like the, the same sort of like racial codes. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it just so, looks different. Yeah, it's just like a northern version of it, and and I, you know, I think Malcolm X said it best. He <laughs> he said, "Listen, stop talking about the South." Because anytime you south of the Canadian border, you're in the south, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which is to say, like, listen, we we just whether you get bit by the northern wolf or the southern fox, he said they're both in the canine family. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a matter of you know how you interface with it. So, yeah. What was the the biggest obstacle transitioning? From the south to the to the north. Oh man, yeah, uh, that's a great question as well. I think when I realized that, like, you know, as I had mentioned before, that I would never assimilate, and it was okay to just like be who I was, even though, like, I, I'm probably never moving back to Mississippi, right? I mean, it's been so long, um, but. I'm, there's also, you know, that like, there's a Mississippi country boy that's inside of me, you know, and, and that's never going anywhere. Right. So I, it was just a matter of, um, I think just understanding like who I was, um, culturally and, and what I was now calling home and also not romanticizing one or the other or what it meant. You know, I, I sort of went through a period of my life where I had like a, philosophical grappling with what it even meant to call a place your home. Mm. Um, and so once I was able to, you know, work through all of that, I was like, okay. That's so interesting that you're saying that because a lot of people from Rhode Island say that they can't get away from this place. Or some people will say, you know, I leave and I come back home. But you're saying like the way we romanticize what home is as if, Home isn't something you can't create somewhere else. So it's interesting mm. that you say that. And I, I think about, I can't help but to think about slavery and mm. how black people have, we have always been forced to assimilate, even holding on to our cultural traditions. So for you as a man who was raised in a time where like you remember the civil rights movement, and then being now in this place where as an educator and a scholar and an activist, you're also seeing, I guess, I don't even know if this would be like a another wave of the civil rights movement. Will we call it that? Or like, what do you say? This is like, 
the different the key differences in having to be someone in that time who's seeing it and then someone in this time who's kind of going through the same things again yeah yeah uh man that's powerful to think about i you know the so like the the the, the black freedom struggle is is less it's not about an episode it's not episodic right it's about a tradition of struggle and the tradition continues until we achieve liberation and but that liberation that freedom um has to take place in a world that we haven't seen yet right like we actually don't and when I'm saying we, I'm not even just meaning black folks. I'm just like the world. Like the world doesn't know what it means. Like, like we don't know what it means to have a world, to have a society for which gratuitous violence played out against mm-hmm. black people isn't normative. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, we don't see. That's why Wakanda is an Afrofuturist project. Right, as a film, right? Black Panther, Wakanda, this place that like doesn't exist, right? But like we, we can imagine that kind of Africa. We can imagine that kind of world. And the moment we go to do that, like, like, wow, like what if police brutality on black bodies was like never, like, what if that never happened? Like you, you've seen artists try to do these things. Like, what if slavery just never happened? And what do we do? We have to start, we, it suddenly becomes a, a, a fiction. We have to make up stuff and create, like maybe this would have happened and maybe that. We don't know. We can't imagine that world. So, um, I, right. So let me think about your question. Cause I, I you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. It's, it's a, um, when the pressure builds, and there's a there's an earthquake, right? There's an earthquake, or like a black power earthquake. Is when black folks broadly speaking saying, "Okay, we're we're not asking for concessions now, like these social concessions. Mm-hmm. We're actually asking for institutional change, right? We're asking for systemic shifts. This is the moment that we are in." Um. That's part of what the modern civil rights movement was about, right? Which wasn't the first one. There were other like civil rights, so-called civil rights movements, as it were, prior to that. But it's the one that like we remember, our generation remembers, right? It's the one out of which figures like Dr. King emerged, Malcolm X, right? Or Fannie Lou Hamer, right? Of course, Rosa Parks, these kind of figures that we all just sort of know these names. Um. And, and, and one more thing I'll say to your question though. This moment now, right? This Black Lives Matter part one and two, as, as I've been calling it, isn't producing those kind of figures. Mm. And that's okay. It doesn't like, we don't need to like produce another Dr. King, right? We just need to like listen and learn from his life for which he ultimately gave and so many others for whom we don't even know all the names. Mm. Right. We, 
We don't need a, another exact carbon copy of a Phantom Warhammer. I would love that. <laughs> I would too. I would <laughs> like to experience it. Just run a human copy machine, just make a million copies of her. She paid, she paid a price. Let's learn that the lessons that she tried to teach us. Um, and, and yeah, and in a way, I guess like reproduce those lessons, but she is who she was. And that's so beautiful. Yeah, they kind of, I feel like historical black figures have become like mystical beings that we, because you're saying we're not producing those same kinds of people now. And it's so true. Like I look at our generation and we kind of always say like our generation's fake, like they're, they're sayers and not really doers. And I think most of it has to do with people believing that putting up a meme on social media is activism versus actually going out and doing the footwork. Yes, Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So my, my question to you is, uh, because you had a, um, a series over at Providence College, which mm-hmm. you just ended last week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a four part and you focused on, um, Martin Luther King Jr., if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, his, yeah, it was his letter from a Birmingham jail. Yeah, and you also spoke at a panel at Rhode Island College, a virtual panel in, um, focusing as well on, on Martin Luther King Jr. So can you talk to us about your, your love and, and uh, respect for Martin Luther King Jr. and why you believe that it's important that we keep his legacy alive. What for obvious reasons, but like you know, I want to hear what you what you got to say about that. Yeah, right on. No, I appreciate that. So, I think there are two ways that I might respond to this. Um, you know, growing up here in, 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 in America in the United States or as you know some of <laughs> my sisters and brothers might say that the United Snakes of America <laughs> <laughs> um, we as black folk have been told who our heroes were these white figures whether we they were told to us as so-called founding fathers or the leaders in science and these different kinds of things. And then later on, when we go and learn the history, we found out that we got bamboozled. Somebody took our oppressor, put them on a pedestal and told us to worship <laughs> slave owners. Um. A figure like Dr. King and again so many others begins to shift that model. Now I want to be careful how I, I answer this, okay? For posterity. I know this is being recorded. I want to make sure folks hear me. I am not nor do I ever call for the creation of a figurehead, right? Um someone for whom, okay, this is the figure and everybody fall in line, follow this, right? We always have to maintain a critical analysis, right? We're not, black struggle is not cult building. Mm. But that's what we were taught to do in the structure. And we they, they build it in a built environment all around us. These are your heroes. 
whether it's a figure like a Columbus who never even came here. Well, how the hell is we? He never even came here. Like, how did he even get? And the story behind it is even the, crazier. The, mm-hmm. the story behind Columbus is is mind blowing. It's bananas. Like, even he, I feel like if he came back, he'd be like, what? Like, they got a holiday for me up there? Like, I never went up there. Like, how did that even happen? In anyway. everywhere. <laughs> right. Okay, so, so. The, one of, the great power of Dr. King was he took the collective voices of the people, the collective pain, the, the, the angst, the struggle, the joy, the disdain, the despair. He took that and like only he could, like a black preacher, he articulated that. He spoke it out. This is part of the rhetorical tradition out of which he comes, right? This black rhetorical preacher tradition. Um, Dr. King also leaves us a, a record because he wrote and he spoke so much. So we have literally a, 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 a primary documented record, right? Of his speeches, of his sayings, of his prayers, like that's what he did. He put his life on the line. These other white figureheads didn't put their lives on the line for black folks. They put black folks' lives on the line. <laughs> so part of it is a focus on bringing up a generation for which we disrupt that narrative, right? The linearity of that narrative of these are your figures. Can I tell you all something? When I came here, and you talk, we were talking about me coming here, you know, one of the things that, that politicized me was when I was in college and I learned about this cat named Milkar Cabral. I'm like, who's this dude? <laughs> Milkar Cabral, he fought against the Portuguese Empire, liberated Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau. I never heard of this dude in my life. I, I just heard, heard of him. him. Huh? <laughs> just, just now yeah. I just heard of him. <laughs> no, I came here and there were these folks here, they were Cape Verdean. Mm-hmm. God, we never heard of that. Uh, who's Cape Verdean? Oh, it's Cape Verdean. No. They're the first group of West Africans to come here as free people. Like what? See, we've been miseducated. So th- th- these figures, these king and these figures, give us a moment to invert that, right? To invert that that narrative, because otherwise, we we just reproduce what the matrix wants us to reproduce. We just respond to the cues, but we never come into our own self-awareness and our own consciousness of our own blackness and our own history. Mm-hmm. And the number one way to disrupt the people, any people, I don't care who they are, is to separate them from their history. Once you go, if you separate them from a connection to their history, at that, at, at that point, it doesn't matter. You can do anything you want with them. 
So I have a question about the modern movement. Um, would you say that like Al Sharpton or um, I just had the name in my head right now. Al Sharpton or even like uh, is he a pastor too? No. The guy with the glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, I think it is. And he pops up in all the protests. Yeah, they're always at the protests. I know Al Sharpton used to always be at different protests. And still, what's his name? He he would be there with Al Sharpton, or just it's just a different. No, like the figure is putting out the information now, like Al Sharpton, um, Sean, Sean King, Sean is it Sean? I think it's Sean King. Um, they're always like in that space. How important Uh, are those people right now to the movement today? What what was the last one? How are they what? How how important are they to the movement of today? (laughs) Um, Brother, I I don't think they're important at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they do the work that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, They have larger platforms because they, you know, I know Al Sharpton is like on the TV Um, like every day. Basically a celebrity, yeah. And so they've built platforms, but like that the movement like isn't there. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they don't do important things mm-hmm. and don't say important things at certain times, but like th- so Al Sharpton is no Dr. King and he never will be. Like that's like not even a thing. And mm-hmm. and frankly, in fairness to him, he doesn't have to be. Um mm-hmm. we you know, like I was saying before, we we don't we don't need you know Malcolm X to come back. Right. We just need to like listen to what he said. Like that's how he can live. Um, that, that generation, that civil rights generation, fifties to sixties, we, we won't see that again. The movement won't look like that again. That won't be, it doesn't have to be. And that's okay. That was. A, a special generation that was a special moment in time. That time called forth these figures. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we'll never see people like that again? I don't. So I think I we will see intense black political struggle because we've always seen that, but we won't see. It won't look like that generation because there's an evolution that happens. I I I believe that. The movement created a moment for which it called forth those figures like that. But we are at a different time now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like, there are ways in which we can think of Malcolm as kind of like a saint, right? Like the power, like the way he was able to open the the third eye, the eye of the mind, the one that doesn't have an eyelid, the way he was able to open minds. There's no, we don't, like, you don't, like, if I put it in a sports analogy, right, it, it, it can, it, it may be helpful to think about it. Like, if you think, like, you know, they do these comparisons and they say, oh, well, LeBron James or Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan yeah. no, Kobe Bryant. And I'm like, bro, you, you don't get those are like generational moments, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you, in great 
players and figures come up and great based out of movements. See, mm -hmm. that was a moment where you had movement-based work and there was no social media, mm -hmm. right? Which means you had to do like grassroots work on the ground, right? We're in a different era, a different technology, different levels of consciousness, even the tactics that we do now, like we can't do the tactics that we used to do in the 50s and 60s, right? Part of the movement tactic then was like, in certain moments, okay, we're going to fill up the jails, right? Everybody's going to fill up the jails, and then they got no, the jails are full, and then what are they going to do, right? And they, those were campaigns, right? They're trying to end racial uh, segregation. So they would go in, do a sit-in, the police arrest them, and then here come the next group, and they sit right back there. It was a tactical thing. You can't do that now. The, the, the prison industrial complex is set up completely yeah. different now. Like, that's not even a move now. So I'm just saying to say that, like, many things have changed, and that's okay. That's the evolution of the struggle. Um, but that was a that was a special moment, man. And there's some, and it brought forward some special figures because, and I'll say this one more thing too. Remember, this period, the 50s and 60s, What's happening in Africa? Africa is beginning a wave of decolonization that's gonna sweep through the throughout the continent until we arrive at what moment? South Africa, right? Apartheid, the end of that. So it's not only just here; it was like internationally there were things going on that. We're just different. It was a it was a different time. Wow. So you are you are also the uh, founding organizer of the Direct Action for Rights and Equality over at Dare. Um, I'm sorry, you're the founding organizers of the Black Studies Program over at Dare. Uh -huh. um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because uh, I know that it was it was for younger people, right? Yeah, so it was a community-based program. Um, and so it was really just, it was like open to, to anyone. Um, and essentially when, when I came to the organization, you know, out of college, like I, I did Africana studies, like black studies in college. That's what my degree was in. And so what was functional for me was like, okay, people always ask me like, what are you going to do with that degree? You know, I used to hate this question because I'm like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want with it. Like, what do you mean? With it? Don't worry about what I'm going to do. <laughs> Mind your business. I'm going to do what I want. But um, no, so part of what I understood was like, yo, I got to go into the community, to the streets. I got to get on my bike and ride around <laughs> so I can meet Christina in these, out in these streets. Um, yeah, I, I, so I was at there and, and, and doing my formal sort of like community organizing at the time. They didn't have a political education program. And I remember learning that, you know, a lot of chapters of Black Panther Party had like a six week political education program before you could become a member of the Black Panther Party, right? Cause you had to understand why you <laughs> were doing the work you why were doing in the community, again. right? You had to be theoretically grounded in the work. And so, we did this strategic sort of like planning that happens like semi-annually and that wasn't in place. And I was trying to figure out how to get in. I was like, ha, huh, I know education, right? I know I can like teach this. And so 
that's what I'm going to do. And so I organized the first class. And honestly, at the time, I didn't, I wasn't even sure if anybody was going to show up. And, you know, they showed up and they continued to show up, you know, for years. I'm not doing that at the organization right now, but I do have the Providence uh, Black Studies Syllabus, which is the same project, but that it was founded in that space in DARE. By the way, DARE was started by a black woman from South Carolina, came up to Providence with her five children and got here in the city and figured out there were like no resources, you know, for a, a single mother like trying to, so she literally started what would become there, like at her kitchen table, organizing with the other women on her wow. street. I did not you know, know, you know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Her name is Maddie Smith. Wow, Maddie Smith. She's still alive. She about whew. Maddie might be ninety something years old, man. Really? Yeah. You know, she obviously oh. you know don't get out and stuff, and not obviously, but she doesn't get out and move around like that anymore. But she's still here. But like. You know, so, I, you know, I, I try to like, you know, as a public people's historian, man, I, I try to keep these histories, man, and make sure our folks know. Are the kids are, are receptive of history? Because I know I make fun of these two boys at my job. They're 19 and 20, I think, or 21. And I ask them different questions all the time. Like, do you know who Lenny Kravitz is? And they're like, and I'm like, Prince or Michael Jackson? Do you know who Magic Johnson is? And I'm always asking them like about pop culture figures, and yeah. then they don't know who they are. They don't know who Lenny Kravitz is, wow. and they're wow. 21 years. And I'm like, how do you not know who Lenny Kravitz is? You know, aside from being one of the best musicians, he was also one of the first black musicians to be in that rock and roll space as successful as he was on a mainstream level. And I'm like telling this and they're like, it's like in one ear out the other. And so I can only imagine what they know about history, which is probably nothing as well. So how right. were the kids in, in your classes? How, how did they receive the education? So, okay. So this is, this is really interesting, right? Because if we can use your excellent point, right? We can take it right from there. If you're trying to talk to her about Lenny Kravitz and they're like, like Lenny who? Like, <laughs> And his impact, right, on modern rock and roll, if they can't get to there, imagine what's going to happen when you then try to pull that thread and pull it through and tell them, oh, by the way, black people created rock and roll. <laughs> like, black people created the whole American music soundtrack. Now, you tell them that. Now they they're gonna be like, man, you you bullshitting. Like, what you talking about? <laughs> right? They they're they gonna they're gonna look at you like you bananas, like you fell up the stairs. Yeah. Because they they couldn't even get to the Lenny Kravitz part. Right. <laughs> right. Wait, so they couldn't even get to Lenny Kravitz, so it's like, okay, right. And so, in response to your question, is like. I have to, in my teaching and my instruction, I have to take that into account. And I'm never mad at them. I don't blame it at them because I understand that the, the matrix made them that way. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it, it did that to their minds. It disassociated them. Um, they don't know who they are. So that, 
Lenny Kravitz doesn't have to mean anything to them, right? And so I, 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 I account for that. Um, as I begin to like make connections and try to break this down to them. Now I seen, I seen that you practice or teach. I'm not sure which one of the two, um, jujitsu. What does jujitsu mean to your story and to what you do? Yeah, yeah. So it's, so I both practice and teach Brazilian jujitsu. Wow. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a self-defense art that's rooted and grounded in, like, most of, like, the self, you know, self-defense martial arts is based on we're standing on our feet, somebody's striking at us or somebody's mm-hmm. doing something. And, and we, we are familiar with it through its sensational, sensationalization in film and movies, right? Mm-hmm. Kung Fu movies, but the, but, if you ask somebody, if you tell somebody, okay, so what happens if somebody actually grabs you and throws you to the ground? Now show me your, now we just wrestling or whatever. <laughs> so that's where Brazilian Jiu Jitsu begins, mm. right? It begins, it's a, it's a ground fighting, grappling martial art that's submission based control of space on the ground, body position. Um, and it's, you know, again, been popularized through the UFC, mm-hmm. you know, ultimate fighting competition. So a lot of people see that and instead they go into a clinch and they're like, oh, that's the jujitsu. Um, but I, but I, I picked that up years ago, um, about 15, shoot, man, it feels like it maybe was like, damn near 20 years ago now. I, you know, like so many youth growing up, I always wanted to like learn, you know, some kind of way to defend myself. I just thought that would be cool, be like a superhero, but I didn't know like what style to take. And, um, I, you know, I saw this cat, Horace Gracie in the UFC taking these cats down and just beating them up in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And he never threw a punch or a kick. And I was like, whatever the hell that is, yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so now I'm just at this point where, you know, I've learned this craft now, and so I need to give it to my people. Mm. Um, my, my people need to know that because what it does for not only your health and strength and conditioning, but for your self-confidence. Mm. And it works because it gets tested every night you step on the mat and train. It, there's no false positives in this. Mm. You know this stuff works because you it is only learned through that testing ground. Yep. Right. There's no like it like you it has to be tested live. And um yeah, I mean, I could I could I could, I could say more about that. It's it's the only martial arts system that has a guard in it, something called a guard, mm-hmm. um, in, which is a system for which you fight off of your back from the ground. And that's just people can't even get their paradigm. Like what you do, what and I'm like, yeah, come in. Let me teach you. Um, but. It's dope, man. It's dope, but I want I, I I want our people to to, to learn it. That 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 interests me because I, I I took Shotokan Shotokan oh, a while ago. I took Shotokan to a brown belt, and um, was that the one in the plaza? You no, oh, okay. um, I used to um, it, and I learned it from a um African American man. 
Oh, wow. Um, okay. Which was more interesting because, you know, when you learn something from someone who looks like you, you grasp it a little better. Uh huh. You know, and, um, I moved up the ranks pretty, pretty fast, just learn, learning it. And, um, it taught, it taught a lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 So right. I, I, I definitely look into that. Yeah. Yeah. To, let me know. Let me know. I, I teach, uh, my class. Every Saturday morning at 1030, you know, it's a fundamentals class, you know, at the, um, the school I train out of is Timberill Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, folks want to Where is up. that? Be right there. Where is it? Um, Timberill Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and anybody can Google that, it'll pop right up. Um, I can, I don't know if there's a chat feature in here, I can throw the link in there too. Okay. And I want to ask you a little bit about the... Um just some things that are going just to get going on and to get your perspective. Like recently we had, um, there's this public issue between Megan the stallion and Tory Lanez right now, which the young people are really, really interested in. So there's speculations and different theories as to what happened, but she claims that Tory Lanez, who a man she was dating shot her. So there's, this big hashtag started uh, the movement of protect black women and mm-hmm. what that means and what that looks like and how can men protect black women appropriately and I guess stand in solidarity. What is your perspective on this movement and if you've heard of it and how do you think we can protect as a, a black man who studies and, you know, is educated, I would say a lot more than... <laughs> The men I've <laughs> I've met and been around. Uh, what is your perspective on protecting Black women in the whole movement? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. So, is this something recent? Because I feel like this was something that was they he, he and her were like working through a it's, little while ago. Did something new pop up? Or? It's been a it's been like a year already. It's been it's almost it, been a year already, but their trial just started. Oh, so, so, okay, okay. so a lot of people are talking and they tweeted each other and just a mess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A mess. Right. A mess. And, and it's not a new mess. Right. It's an old mess. Mm-hmm. We, so, okay. The, le, le, let me start by saying the root of the problem is patriarchy in a, in a Western society. This is not to absolve Tory Lanez or any other black man or man, any man in period, mm-hmm. right? But the, the, I, the, the root of the problem is the concept at its core of this construct of patriarchal control of women's bodies, right? And we can talk about misogyny, right? Notion like literally violence on the bodies of women. But something happens differently and more acutely when we're talking about women of color, particularly black women's bodies, because why? They're the only group of women's bodies, right, who enter into the conversation first as private property, enslaved private property, that then reproduces through birth other private property. So the, so it, 
what I mean is like women aren't even thought first in the American historic mindset. Black women aren't thought first about even as women, but literally as, 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 as cattle. That, we, we have to move from that point. Now, this notion then of protecting black women, I, I was raised by a black woman, right? So that's my mama. <laughs> that's my grandmama. That's so for, for me, I feel like black men need to be operating on a default setting or by default, right? The notion, like the first individuals we need to be looking out for is our mamas, our sisters, our cousins, right? The black women in our lives. But in that, there is still a subtle trap that we have to be careful for. Because if we aren't careful, it suggests that black women somehow aren't able to protect themselves and need protecting, which then reinstates, right? It reinstantiates again this patriarchal structure. Mm. Sit over here, woman, let me protect you. Hold up. Black women ain't ever needed nobody to protect them. In fact, when we look historically, it's been black women that's been doing a whole Protect- lot of protecting mm-hmm. of black men. What did Megan Thee Stallion say? She said, I didn't really want to tell the police like how the shit really went down because they up out here shooting niggas. So she was in protective mode of him. Right? She said that on something somewhere. She came. Remember she said yeah, that? She I saw, said think that I saw the Instagram. That was when it first happened. Yeah. When it first happened. Am I lying? <laughs> no, no. She definitely said that. She, she, you know, I'm trying to paraphrase as tightly as I can, but so, so she was in that mode because she understood the larger thing. She's brilliant. Now, here's the thing. When we say protect black women, we believe in the protecting of black women, but protect them from who and what? If the assailants are other men, that means black men in many cases need to be protecting black women from other black men. So I feel like part of what in, 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 you know, with the black women in my lives, it's like, look, I'm good. You need to go talk to your niggas over there, right? Your boys. You go talk to them. We're on a podcast. So I'm going to just talk free. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah that's true. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm good. Go holler at your homies. And while you're there, holler at the whole rest of the patriarchal structure. Protecting black women is connects to everything else. If black women can't vote and don't have the right and protections to vote in this country, that also means protecting them. And guess what? By doing that, you're protecting yourself. And we can look and go through the statistics and look at all the kind of data. And it, when black women have to send their children to dilapidated schools with inferior education that we see every decade in the province public school system, mm-hmm. black girls having to go to those schools, that's not protecting black women. Right? Like, my, my point is like, we can extrapolate this out and really 
look at and talk about this, but I, but 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 we have to be careful not to do it from a standpoint that tries to posture women, put them in a position of like sit back, and the man is going to protect you. <laughs> that that's his that's. You know, I'm a historian. My approach is from the, that of well, the historian, like that's historically inaccurate. Right. The people that have protected me in my life has been black women. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's who protected me. It's been black women that protected me. It, it, it protected my mind. Mm. It protected my soul, right? The prayers protected my spirit. You know, so, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. People, because I, I thought about Kanye West and uh, people have been saying that what he needs in his life is a black woman to, to pray for him and to get him in order. And, you know, right. We say love is love and you can love outside of your race and ethnicity or what have you. But do you think that maybe that could be a thing that he needs to be with a black woman to kind of tap into who he is. Man, brother Kanye, what what a musical genius, huh? Mm-hmm. What what a powerful. Again, this is one of these figures, right? He he. I, they were talking about the, him doing a versus, you know, the versus thing, mm-hmm. and, and, and <laughs> he said some kind of statement where he says something like. You know, he said, "Listen, I'm not even being joking, but like, who, who has, right? Who has the the the, the credentials, like yeah. the record, like the the what do you call it, like the the archive to even battle me, right? Right? Like, who who even got that? And I was like, okay, you, I, I see, I see you right there, I see you, Kanye. <laughs> like, it's probably one of the something he said that made sense in a long time. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, he I'm like, he got that one, right? But no, so man, listen. Kanye might need more than a couple of black women. <laughs> right? he's, the brother he 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 needs some prayer, he needs some love, he needs he need he needs he need the elders is what what I think he need around him. He need, he need to get. He I think he came into a moment where he didn't have to ch- check in with nobody, mm-hmm. right? He he his his black mother laid that foundation for him. Black Chicago laid that foundation for him. Right. And the further away he got from his black mama, black Chicago, and it wasn't that he was getting further. But he was rising high, like he got on the top of the music game. And so he didn't have to check in with nobody. He didn't have to be accountable to no other kind of structures. And that, that can, that can be intoxicating, man. And in his case, he like actually lost his mother. So it wasn't like he could like go back to that home base. And I mean, look, I believe in total liberation. So like what people do, in their private lives, in their bedroom, I they ain't none of my business, right? But like, who you are, like outside of the bedroom, right? He he made a set of decisions around his personal life, and he has a family now, and he needs to 
his job now is to make sure that like his black children like are grounded in that. And he can't rely on a Kardashian to do that. Mm-hmm. Like she's not even built for that. She's not qualified for that. She's not credentialed for that. I'm not saying she's not a loving mother and this and that. This is not like a critique on that. Mm-hmm. That's just not. It's just factual. It, that, that's just factual, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and this has been like <laughs> so many stories of so many like black children who grew up in like, you know, mixed race families or, you know, had a parent that was white and, or adoption or what happened. And, you know, they talk about coming into adulthood and them and, you know, the, their white parent both having to grow and evolve in that moment of like, wait, hold up. We can think what we want, but with this larger like system out here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're black still. Is, is right. And like, what does all of that mean? And how do we like move through that space? Mm. Oh, um, yeah. You said a lot in there. What, a lot of my research and, you know, listening, there's a podcast that you reposted from a while ago um, on SoundCloud. And then I also heard you today on the, I want to get the name because it was such a good, it was a panel um, that you were on. It's The Dig in 2019, Capitalism and Slavery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I heard you on there and you You're were doing research, huh? You can make tell me my social security number next. <laughs> I'll hold that. I will, we'll talk about that one after. Um, see if I can fix my credit. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you said something and I forgot to write it down. So I don't want to misquote you, but at the end, you were talking about being radical and how the system that be the systems that be need to be dismantled. So, mm-hmm. you know, to end it off, I would like for you to talk about what you think are the steps we need to take to live in this and actively being radical, not just saying it and thinking it, but actively mm-hmm. doing so. And how do you envision that we do that from here on out today? Yeah, thank you, man. Oh, what a question. That's incredible. Man, you, I see why you got a podcast. <laughs> um, I use my definition, um, of radical one that comes out of, um, branches of communist thinking, which is this notion that we, you know, sometimes we, when we think about what it means to be radical and like, what like fundamental, like revolutionary changes and we, we can, it can put us in a moment where we sort of like reach into these ideas and these figures and these different things. And I'm like, the, I use as my definition, grasping things at their root, understanding them at a root causation level, and then using that as a platform to then move forward from in your thinking. See, the problem is not often 
that we don't have the right answers is that we haven't like understood how to ask the right questions. And be, in, in the way to understand how to ask the right questions is to look at things at their root, at their core, like fundamentally. But living in Western society in, in, in an empire that we live through a, a, a mass mediated machine where we have ideas and images of the colonial empire coming at us, inundating us every day. And so it can get hard to even figure out how to like formulate that. Oh, well, poor people are poor just because they don't work hard. Right? You just got to work harder, brother. America's a meritocracy. This won't be about the strength of your hard work. And then when you say to yourself, wait a second. My grandmother was the hardest working woman I ever knew. Ain't nobody I know worked harder than my grandmother. And she died damn near penniless. That, those two things create a tension. And what people often do is we resolve these kinds of tensions is they default to the narrative of the capitalist machine. You just got to work harder. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's something else going on. There's something else for which people are being marginalized historically. How do we get at that? Even when you don't know all the answers, how do you, you, the questions need to start formulating from there. That's what being radical is. It's just asking those essential questions, those critical questions. It doesn't mean knowing all the answers. The, the, being radical does not mean knowing the answers. It's not me trying to appear smart. It means I'm thinking about how to grasp the root of this question, how to fundamentally understand this. Um, it's that approach. And, 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 and so what that looks like going forward is like systems. How do, how do you define a system? Right, broadly speaking, what makes a system? The defining attribute of a system is that it reproduces itself. That's what makes it a system. So the system, yes. So the, the structures, the institutions, the ideas in our society, the, the, the notion that we can be in 2022 and we see the reproduction of racist, white supremacist ideology. And I always hate when people say, oh, we just got to wait for that older generation, those old racists to die out. And I'm like, no, bro, you missed it. They keep updating the software. Yeah. So that when the next generation comes along and they pick it up, they, it keeps moving. You, you, you can't wait for some people to die off. We've been waiting damn four, five hundred years. Does hmm. <laughs> not so my my second part of my response to your question is understanding that the system operates that, that way. How do we now disrupt the reproduction of the ideas? See, this is what Milkar Cabral talked about. He says that it's I, 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 the ideas that we are using, this is where the battle is. Right? Audrey Lord talked about this. She said you can't use the master's tools 
to dismantle the master's house. The master's tools are never going to take his house down. They built his house. You can't use those. You got to get some other tools. And people misunderstand that and think, oh, see, we can't use technology. That's the master's tools. We can't use this. That's the master's tools. I'm like, no, silly. That's not the master's tools. That's the technology. The master's tools are the master's ideas. You can't use his ideas to take down his house. That means we have to come with new ideas, right? The master's tools are rooted in hatred, alienation, separation, segregation. These are the things that, these are the master's tools. So we have to, what does radical love look like? Right? We talk so much about hatred and hatred. Ask somebody like, yo, tell me about radical. I, we know, I knew him, we talk about hating. We, we got to stop hating our society. Go and ask somebody, say, can you tell me about how do we promote radical love? They're going to be like, what the hell? What do you mean by that? <laughs> say, aha, we haven't asked that question. Do we love ourselves enough? My work is not rooted actually in a hatred of anything or anybody. My work is rooted in a love for justice and a radical love for my people, black people, a radical love for liberation and freedom. And it's in that that then I can't tolerate. <laughs> right. It, so these are the things that are the way I think about and understand what it means to be radical. That's great. I love that. Do you have anything to ask Mr. Marco before we let him go? No, that that was actually. <laughs> I, I was. We were, we were. It was your podcast at that point. <laughs> man, I, hey, speaking of love, man, I love and appreciate y'all, man, and, and thank you so much Always. for having me on the show to break bread, you know, with with, with the people, and um, and I, I'll be excited to see you again in the streets one day. Yes, <laughs> actually, I would like to ask, what is one thing you would like to tell that? that person from the new generation that they should do to get their foot on on the ground into this movement? Mm, mm, that's a good question. Um, Start reading. Start reading some black history. Start reading. Pick up any book around black history that interests you, whatever it is. It's whatever interests enough. you. Start reading your history. It's gonna start right there. History is 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 it's like a clock, right? John Henry Clark talks about this, the great scholar and teacher. He said history is a clock that the people use to tell their cultural and political time of day. It tells them not only who they are, but where they've been and who they've been. He said, and it also tells them what they still must do and where they still must go. So our, our, our youth, they got to know their history, man. Because we live in a world of lies. A world that's been constructed. If you're black, you live in a world that's been constructed on lies that work against you. So you got to understand your history. That's great. I think I'm, that's the perfect way to end it. Um, I want to I want to give you your flowers since you thanked us because I've been we've been friends on Facebook and I've just been watching you from a distance and 
we had uh, Miss Sarah Lopes last week. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have Mr. Marco up here. And I'm so excited to have him. And, um, you know, I haven't been lucky enough to sit in a class with you, but I feel like I've learned so much just based off the things you write and how you speak and how you move. And even seeing you with something as personal as being a father and how you interact with your daughter, um, which is another conversation within itself. And it's really beautiful to watch. And I'm super proud of who you are. Although you're not officially kin, it feels as though because, like you say, your love and, and with your love for justice and for black liberation is so important because, like you've said before, we don't we don't uh, get to see figures like Martin Luther King Jr. But for me, when I think of Mr. Marco, when I think of Sarah Lopes, I to me those are. You guys are like those mystical mm -hmm. figures that we think of in history. So I just want to thank you for your work, for your continued work, all the free work that you do as well. Like, you know, that, that that just speaks to how important it is just for you to get the message and the history out there. It's really not about the monetary um, result that comes from it. Although all that stuff is great and we need it to survive because like you're saying, we are part of this greater system, unfortunately. But to mm -hmm. watch someone who is actively and continuously preaching and practicing what he preaches is very ad admirable. So thank you. Thank you for all your work. Oh, man, I appreciate you so much. I love you so much. And, and I want to say, like, you are my validation, right? I don't need validation from nothing else, no other, like, to, to hear you say that and sit here, you know, with y'all right now, like, Y'all, like, you val you validated my humanity, you know, right there, you know, so that's it. That's what I'm talking about. We just, we just did that. That's that radical love, you know, so I'm, I'm human now because you said I am. My life, my black life matters because you just told me that it did, you know, and so. I can sleep in peace now. I don't care what nobody else <laughs> Christina said. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 beautiful. That's the God in you speaking to the humanity and the God in me, you know, so one love is strength to you. you yes, know? I love that. And we love you right back. And we'd love to have you next time in person. I was actually I was actually like looking forward to that energy exchange because yeah. you know I, the energy I'm sorry. is different. I, that got crossed in my brain. I just mm -hmm. I, I was just you know, everything has been so virtual. Everything is virtual now virtual, You're virtual, so used virtual. To, yeah. And yeah. It, it just got lost and I just like a I mean I'm sure you said it, right? But it, it just my mind heard my ears heard virtual at mm -hmm. some point or it get translated <laughs> to my mind as virtual. It's so you were like, oh we meet in the studio and I'm like, okay. I missed something somewhere. Um, so, yeah, nah, for real. For real, we can jump up in the studio. Yes, yes. Thank you. And thank you for coming on to the show. This is Sparkle Podcast, episode 139 with Mr. Marco McWilliams. Thank you so much. Let me give you some. Oh, not that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> you don't know your own segment. My mind is like, all right. So, 
Now we're gonna get to my favorite part of the episode, Pass Me the Ox, where we share with y'all something we've been audibly listening to. I know you hate when I say that, but I cringe. But we just want to share what we've been listening with y'all. Mm-hmm. See if y'all like it. If you're rocking, you know, at least we try to put you on. Word. So, um, Christina, you you got this first today. Me first. Yeah. Okay. So the song that I'm gonna go for is by a an artist named Tempest, and this is a vibe vibe. And these words are so true to my life right now. So this is sorry to to say by Tempest. This is a a nighttime vibe right here. Feeling that vibe? I like it. Smooth. I love that song. I like smooth. Yeah, smooth. All right, bands. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with um, "Cure" by by Atasio. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. A T O Z Z I O. It's a very. I like this song a lot. Okay. You good? Yeah. Just wanna let us hear it. Yeah, just. Oops. I just wanna love you, baby. I'm in editing. Me jobs crazy. I don't wanna share what's mine. Cause you know I'm so selfish. That's a good vibe. I like his voice. That's a nice voice. That's a good pick, Benz. Yeah, so that that was past me dogs. Christina, do we have any announcements? All I have to say is subscribe per usual. Apple, Google, Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere that you find podcasts, you can find this podcast. I want to shout out Mr. Marco for coming on and being a guest today. We had 
a very good conversation with him and i want to thank the listeners new and old and passer buyers and also i want to announce that next week we will have councilwoman nera la fortune she will be here next week and she is running for mayor as well she can potentially be the first she has potential to be the first woman mayor in Rhode Island history. So that is huge. And she is also the first Haitian American to hold elected office in the state of Rhode Island. So she is black history. And I'm excited to talk to her and ask her a bunch of questions and see what, what her campaign is promising us and what the future of Providence holds. Let's see. Cause she's going against interesting. a Latino man. So it will be a very interesting race cause they're both, good people so i'm excited shout out to nerva la fortune who will be here next week look out for that and that is all that i have i am christina sev sparkle podcast rhode island's number one podcast this is episode 139 you know it is. it's a wrap